A big thank you to everybody who's been listening so far. I've been seeing the shares of the podcast. I've been seeing uh, people start uh, requesting to follow me on LinkedIn. I did this week also start an Instagram page. For those of you that prefer that platform, uh, I went ahead and started to see a whole bunch of awesome content from all the ship chapters around the country that are starting their uh, year. In the coming weeks, I'm going to also start getting... uh, uh, hopefully start following and seeing the activity for SWE and Nesby and and just really excited about where this thing's headed. Um, I got a couple of corrections. Well, I say a couple of corrections. One correction. Uh, I want to thank uh, Braulio Reyes for bringing this up uh, about the prepare step in the STAR method. In the last episode, we talked about how to approach the STAR method, how to talk about how to break it down into components and really think through what the essence of every step is and he did point out that i forgot to mention about the prepare step and he said uh clarification of the questions is very important and that is that couldn't be more true uh i have interviewed and he made me think of all these uh crazy examples uh that i've been there right when someone uh, i ask a question to somebody and they just start talking and they just start giving an answer and i'm left there thinking Uh, this person's not even answering my question. So definitely the prepare step is huge. Uh, Before you start answering, you got to make darn sure that you understand what the uh, question is. And today's episode, we're actually, hopefully that'll that'll help you with that, where we're going to start breaking some of that down. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about categories of interview questions in a behavioral based interview. So by the end of this, you should be able to, instead of just practicing a large list of behavioral based questions, you're going to be able to categorize those before you answer. What's this going to help you do? Understand what the intent of the question and formulate your answer based on that versus trying to dig through a memory bank of a lot of different answers. So recruiting season's kicked off, you're headed back to school, uh, or you're a young professional that's thinking about making a transition and and you really want to practice how to uh, answer some of these behavioral-based questions. So first, you got to put yourself in, in the shoes of the recruiter, right? So the recruiter's going to an event. There's probably, depending if it's a school or a career fair, especially if it's one of these big national conventions, there's thousands of students that are there, right? And you're going to go to a booth. You're going to Uh, hopefully get to the interview portion. Now that interviewer has an hour, typically no more than an hour to do a couple of things that have to happen during that interview. One, they got to tell you about themselves, kind of give you an idea about what's to happen, give you an idea of who they are. And then they got to start breaking you down. I say that it sounds horrible, but no, I I mean, breaking you down into a a set of uh, skills, uh, some experiences, and then is there some fit within their company? And the way they're going to do that and the way a lot of companies do that nowadays is by using the uh, these behavioral based questions. So what does that mean? The idea here is that behaviors that you demonstrate and can support with past examples or experiences or events in your life are probably going to tell 
or are a good sign of the type of employee that you might be, right? So if you, if you come in, the idea is if you have an established habit or an established behavior, and if you're able to explain it, well, my job as a recruiter is not to say, well, can I see them using that same behavior to, for example, uh, solve some technical engineering problems or fill a position that I'm looking for in engineering sales or fill a position that I have in a lab or fill the position uh, entry level into a upstream production type engineering or a scientist, etc. right? So I'm now trying to gauge your skills and see whether or not I can see you being successful in applying them in the workplace. And so typically, so now you, you when you research and Google behavior-based questions, you are going to find a ton of resources and a ton of articles that just give you a laundry list of like the 10 most asked questions or, you know, uh, types of questions that you'll be asked with some answers around them, et cetera. But I haven't found one that kind of broke down exactly the, the, the kinds of questions that you might get. So that's what I want to do today. And it's really going to come down to six items analytical skills interpersonal people skills adaptability communication job fit and leadership all right so again six categories at the end of the day these are kind of the items that i'm trying to figure out so let's talk about analytical first So analytical first, what does that mean? To be analytical means that you have the capability or the skill developed to analyze uh, large amounts of information. And that information can be data. Probably that's probably one that's more uh, probably easier to understand for any STEM major. But even if you're in business or whether you're going to be a teacher, uh, it doesn't matter, right? So data is all around you and large amounts of it uh, can bombard you. And one skill that you that you need in order to problem solve is to be analytical in nature. So what does this imply? One, you have a, a technical understanding of what Whatever degree that you have, right, that you're doing well in your classes, etc. But two, it's also like, so what are you able to explain uh, through your answers to questions, right, through actual examples that you've had in the past, how you organize yourself, right? You you hear a problem. Do you seek to understand the problem? Do you uh, seek to understand the, the data that's available, the resources that are available to you, whether it's written uh, information, uh, stuff that you can research on your own? Uh, do you have uh, are you do you have the ability to identify people resources, uh, subject matter experts, people that have been there in the past? So being analytical implies that you not only understand a problem, but that you're able to, the, the larger amounts of data that you're able to juggle, the better. But then two is now, what is the method to your madness to organize yourself in order to start breaking the problem down? And do you have an ability to uh, identify resources available to you to come to some sort of answer? Because you got to understand, out in the real world, it's not like school, right? So in, in school, and you probably heard this to a lot, but I, I'm hoping to, to, to bring it home here, is that 
there, it's not like when you have homework where the professor says, hey, this is your assignment. Do the evens or do the odds. And you cross your fingers and hope that the answers are in the back of the book. Or, you know, you went to one of them websites and you got the entire teacher's edition. Uh, it, it, that's not the way it is. It's not always going to be one uh, problem. Uh, I mean, one answer to one problem. Typically, there's a multitude of answers. So before you even get to uh, to even offering up different solutions is you have to convince somebody that you're able to analyze the problem. Interpersonal and people skills. Now, this is the uh, skill that says, hey, uh, you know how to work in teams, but it's a little bit more than just being able to work in teams and being a team player. Yes, that's definitely appropriate to highlight that as part of this type of question. But really, it's about interactions with people of different um cultures, different uh, backgrounds that uh, aren't necessarily exactly like you. So in the interpersonal skills portion, uh, recruiters trying to find out, are you going to be able to work in the team of this day and age, which is a variety of, of genders, of religion, of, of ethnic backgrounds, cultures, even from across the country. There's a huge difference uh, potentially between someone who went to school in the upper Northeast and someone who went to a school in the Valley in South Texas. And so the, the way you are able to explain with experiences from your past, situations in which you were put when you were dealing with, uh, with different types of people, uh, the better off you're going to be. Another popular, I guess not another, but a popular question around here is like, hey, tell me about a time when you had to convince a group of people about your uh, idea when it wasn't the most popular one. Or can you tell me about a time when you had to work with a difficult person or you were working in a group and one team member was, you know, getting everybody off task? I'll tell you the keys to these. What I don't want to hear or what recruiters don't want to hear is one, I made it my supervisor's problem. You know, hey, look, I'm just here and I was doing my part and I let them do them and I did me. That's not uh, uh, that's not a very strong answer. Uh, it really needs to be around. Hey, trying to resolve the issue with the peer, uh, trying to re to understand the the differences that are impeding you from communicating and working together, and first taking a stab at it uh, uh, at your level. And then do you have the ability to find other resources, mentors, uh, more senior employees, maybe not supervisors yet that can help you in trying to iron out some of these uh, interpersonal relationships? And as a last resort, do you know when you need to get to the part where you need to bring in your supervisor? So again, interpersonal skills, it's people skills. It's not just teamwork. It's around working with people that aren't exactly like you. Then we have adaptability. So adaptability has to do with just that, your ability to adapt given certain situations, right? And typically what we're trying to find out here is how resourceful are you? Uh, how do you work under pressure? How do you work when conditions change? Uh, again, is there a method to the way you calm yourself down or process what you had versus what you have? And are you able to work through that? And of course, as always, 
I hope you're getting the message now based on experiences that you had in the past. Uh, can you answer some of these questions? Right. So traditionally, some of these questions are like, hey, tell me about a time when you were working on a project and the resources you thought you had uh, all of a sudden weren't available. Or tell me about a time when the scope of a project or, or what you were supposed to turn in changed all of a sudden. Or can you tell me about uh, what, it, you know, have you ever had to uh, do a, a job or do a task that you did not feel comfortable doing uh, because you've never done it before? And those are the kinds of questions that kind of uh, are geared towards finding out how do you change? Are you good with change? Oh, other ones that we like to talk about is, hey, have you ever uh, been, you know, been in a situation when uh, a, a major culture or policy change occurred? And, uh, you know, how did you, what did you do? What were your feelings? How did you work through them? Right. Um Again, really trying to figure out, are you going to be maneuverable and flexible whenever conditions change? And right here, I'm going to kind of roll in to the next one, which is communication. And communication, it's a skill of its own. There's not really one particular question that is going to hit on communication, rather throughout the entire thing. From the minute you say hello to the minute you say have a good day, it's an entire expose of your ability to communicate uh, and 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 understand a con- well two parts. Communication is not the gift of gab. I have met uh, plenty of people that think that hey, I can talk about anything, and I and I'm very comfortable public speaking, and I'm very you know uh, always being picked to be the voice in my group and the presenter. That doesn't necessarily mean. of the time that you're a good communicator. It's about half the story. I'm just going to throw out that number. Maybe it's half the story. The other half is your ability to empathize. And what that means is, do you have the skill to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, right? Not to agree with them. This isn't a, 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 uh, a message that you're wanting to send that you're flexible. No, this is do, can you consider what the other person is trying to accomplish, what they're asking you, uh, the feelings that they're showing, the the type of, you know, the confusion that they might be uh, having. And are you able to empathize and put yourself on their side and vocalize the and finish the sentence that starts with it sounds like. Right. It sounds like you're confused about something or it sounds like you're not you're not I'm not giving you all the information or it feels like maybe I'm missing something or, hey, this is probably a good moment to pause. And maybe uh, it seems that we might be at a deadlock. Do we come back and talk about this later? So that's the key in being able to communicate. So in an interview. Right. So how can you, you know, uh, flex that communication muscle? One is just a being confident in the way that you speak for sure. But two is also make sure that you're always crystal clear uh, and and ask some clarifying questions. Right. If you hear a question and you're not quite sure where the question's going and assuming you do a little studying and really think about what the point of some of these questions are, you can ask a qualifying question. Look, it sounds like you're trying to understand 
how I deal with people. Or perhaps based on the question that you're asking, um, I think what you're trying to get at is whether or not I have a method to the way I organize myself. Or, you you know, based on the questions, it sounds like you may not be convinced that I'm a good fit for this uh, for this position. Or maybe there's something a different position that you think might be better. So those types of probing empathetic questions are now what makes you instead of a good gabber, an actual communicator. Job fit and leadership. So let's start with job fit. Well, I'm going to start with leadership first, okay? So leadership, of course, is something that uh, a recruiter always wants to see. Why? Because they want to get an idea if you're going to be a, a, a follower or just an individual contributor uh, for the length of your career or if you have aspirations to lead. Now, by lead, I'm not talking management directly or supervision. I'm talking there's different forms of leadership within an organization, right? You have uh, senior engineers that uh, become technical experts or senior business people, senior lawyers, regardless of the organization, there's always going to be like entry level positions. And then there's some more junior and senior positions that uh, while they might not be supervisors or managers, they still have responsibilities to lead uh, some of the so, some aspect of their work with other people. Right. And be in a position to influence without authority. We say it. I don't have you don't directly report to me, but, you know, uh, you, you kind of take direction from me. That's an influence influencer without uh, direct authority. So again, and of course, there's the easy part of, of leadership uh, vision is to see whether or not someone is going to potentially be a manager, supervisor, and so on. So again, this is behavior based. The idea is that if you have a history of a habit or behavior, I always use the word habit because people think of habits, you know, uh, it's maybe a little bit easier to understand than just a, a the, the word behavior, but think of it the same way. If you have this habit, if you have this behavior and you tend to be a leader within your life before you even got into work, chances are you're going to carry that into the workplace, right? So again, demonstrated examples from your past. That's the key words, right? Uh, tell me about your leadership, right? And typically that part of the conversation isn't some very cryptic question. It's going to be, hey, so uh, I see that you were a, a active member in your ship chapter. Or I see that you were uh, a vice president of your alpha chapter. Or I see that you, you know, hey, you were the president of your SWE or ship chapter, Right. And so can you tell me about your experience with that? Now, that's where it's going to start. Uh, This is where I've seen a variety. I've had presidents and national students that when they've told their story, it just they bombed it. They couldn't tell me about anything tangible that they did. They couldn't vocalize. Uh, exactly the, you know, the goals that they set, what they accomplished, what they didn't accomplish, how they actually motivated parts of their, of their membership or their, or their e-board and, and, and it flops. So in other words, what am I trying to tell you there? That it's not just the label. Okay. If you're drooling participation in student activities, just to put it on your resume, I promise you any good recruiter, Within a matter of a few seconds and asking you some questions is going to find out the degree of actual involvement that you had. Okay, so it's not just going to be like, oh, I see your president check. You're a leader. That's not the way it works. There's going to be some probing into that. So you need to think through how are you able to vocalize your story 
right? And your leadership examples in order to demonstrate that as a behavior, thereby demonstrating you have this skill. Ultimately, there's job fit. So at the end of the day, recruiters are coming out. They're looking to fill positions within their organization uh, behind the scenes. Something that you might not that that they might not ever share is is uh, targets of, of positions that they're looking for. Uh, the start dates, whether it's uh, full time or uh, or co-ops or internships, all those are items that they're thinking in the back of their heads. Right. Like for me at Exxon Mobil, right? When I go, I'm looking for mechanic. I'm looking for engineers. I tend to be the manufacturing contact wherever I go. And so I'm looking for plant engineers. Okay. That doesn't mean that I don't have an awareness of what else the company's hiring for in our research and upstream, et cetera. But me personally, my participation in the team tends to lean towards manufacturing. At least that's what it's been in the past. I'll tell you, since I moved here to my headquarters position, Uh, three months ago, that might change, but I'm kind of giving you the historical perspective, right? So I go out and and so when I'm interviewing somebody, immediately I'm thinking about Baton Rouge and Beaumont and Baytown and the chemical plants and refineries that are there. I'm thinking about the, you know, my own experience as an engineer when I was there. I'm thinking about the groups that I've been the supervisor for in operations and in engineering in Baton Rouge. And, And so I'm thinking of all the characteristics and all the engineers and people that supported those roles and uh, inspectors and technicians, maintenance folks. And I'm thinking of that entire dynamic and I'm taking all my experience and I'm trying to figure out whether or not the person on the other side of the table, do I see themselves being able to be successful in this environment, right? Because you might be the best candidate leader. You have your analytical nature or an awesome guru when it comes to working with conflict. You're, a, you're flexible under pressure. A communic- I mean, you have empathized the heck out of my, you know, my feelings. But look, if, if, if you can't, if you don't prefer to be on, on an outside environment working in a plant, and if I don't see you being able to talk up and down the organization, what I mean, being able to talk to the plant manager, but also the janitor, like I'm good, there might not be a fit for you at a plant. That doesn't mean there's not somewhere else in the organization. So that's when I go to my secondary objective, which is to kind of see, you know, our research, our, our, our marketing departments, our, you know, engineering sales departments, right? There's, there's a variety of other areas of the business that might be hiring. But again, I'm looking for that fit. So how can you on the other side of the table make that easier? Start thinking about how you're going to uh, help that recruiter make that decision. And you and this is where research on the company is vital. Right? Nowadays, you know, in this day and age, with the amount of money that companies spend on their on their career websites, Uh, There's really no excuse why you shouldn't be able to find a good amount of information to have a a decent conversation with the recruiter. That doesn't mean you know it all. I'm not expecting you to come in here knowing everything there is to know about ExxonMobil, for example. But you kind of have to have an idea of, of the kind of businesses that we're in. Right. And so if especially if you've had some experience. Right. And if you can talk about, look, I. I love working out in the field or, hey, I did the field work. I appreciate it. Uh, I also did research, but I, at this stage in the game, I'm leaning towards a re, uh, R&D type of position. Well, let me know that, right? Bring that to the table. The worst thing you could do is say, hey, I'm open or, hey, I'm looking for any opportunity and you're just trying to get your foot in the door. You come in, you hate it. 
a year from now or three months from now when you're done with your internship, you're, you're just hating yourself, you're hating life, and it wasn't a perfect job fit. So again, you your biggest contribution to the job fit discussion is going to be researching the company and having an idea of the kind of work that you want to do. Well, I think I've taken a good chunk of this time. Um, keep on pushing the envelope with how, le- how long these things uh, should be, but uh, I hope they're not too long. I also break them up. That way, if you pause and come back, it works out for you also. But I think this information is important. I, I feel passionate about sharing it with you. Uh, I learned the hard way uh, about some of these skills, right? And, and I've developed them over the course of my career here. And I'm just trying. My goal ultimately is that whoever's listening, especially if you're a student in STEM or just a college student in general, trying to make it in a trying to break into the professional ranks or whether you are a professional, right? That in your early career, like I want to set you up for success, right? I want to, to for you to benefit from the things that I've learned and and that's why I share. So today we talked about, hey, there's these six behaviors that are probably being assessed while you're in the middle of a job interview. I hope you heard me loud and clear that the reason it's called a behavioral uh, uh, interview is because they are trying to gauge your behaviors. Think of them as habits. What are your habits and demonstrate them and and support your behaviors with your past experiences and be able to answer these questions. Um, and Ultimately, my goal is that uh, you have a better idea. Now, I'm sure that you have a ton of questions. Well, what if I don't have experience or what if I've never, what do I do if someone asks me a question and, and I don't know what to say or I haven't had that experience or, hey, I don't have any technical experience. I've never done an internship, but I've only worked, you know, at restaurants and stuff. Well, I know you have questions and that's what the comment box is for. The comment box is for. So please drop some comments or message me, uh, send me emails so that we can continue the discussion.